Hey, I have a proposal for you guys. Uh, what is it? How do you two like to do a neighborhood secret Santa? Ooh. Oh, no thanks. Come on, neighborhood secret Santa. Like, let's say I get Bob and Bob gets Linda and Linda gets me. How fun is that? No. I love it. Oh. But Teddy, you can't do secret Santa with three people. Sure you can. Three is perfect. I'm pretty sure that's the traditional way it's done. Hello. Hi, Mort. Hey, you want to do a neighborhood secret Santa with us? Wait, what? Oh, uh, okay, sure. Uh, but full disclosure, I've never secret Santa before, so be gentle. Ugh. What? Uh, four people is still not really enough people. Darn. Should we maybe just go back to how things were before Teddy mentioned this idea? Oh, oh, Mike, you got to do neighborhood secret Santa with us. We need the numbers. Oh, uh, I don't know. Oh, it's, come on. It's you don't neighborhood have to. secret Santa. No one has to. I mean, it's not as though I've got an insanely busy job this time of year or anything. Feel free to say no, Mike. Oh, no, I'm definitely in. I just wanted you guys to appreciate how hard I worked during the holidays. <laughs> Glad tidings, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, where I don't know if there'll be snow, so grab a cup of cheer. This is your host, Mikey, enjoying lovely weather in a sleigh ride together with you. It's almost Christmas time. And once again, I'm participating in AGC Podcast Annual Anime Secret Santa. If you remember last year, I joined in for Anime Secret Santa for the very first time, and my first outing was a great one as I got to cover March Comes In Like a Lion Season 1. That pick, courtesy of my friend Corey from the Taiku Podcast, absolutely loved it to pieces. I highly recommend you check out March Comes In Like a Lion if you haven't already. And then you should check out the solo pod that I did on that too. Also, I can't wait until the manga comes out here. I know it's been taking a while, I think due to the uh, translation taking a lo- little bit longer than usual. The series is loaded with a lot of shogi jargon, so I don't blame them for taking their time in order to get this one right. But it'll be worth the wait. I know it. Anyway, March Comes In Like a Lion was last year, so let's focus on this year. What did my Secret Santa drop down the chimney for me this year? Well, first off, they dropped a couple of things that were suggested to me last year. Once again, two of my choices were Ping Pong and Samurai Flamenco. I don't know if this is a coincidence or one big rib. Because, uh, like last year, I will not be going with either of those choices, as I really, really want to do Ping Pong as a regular episode of Anime Baby. That show deserves a full proper episode with me, Ryan, and maybe another guest or two, who knows? But that definitely deserves a full episode. As for Samurai Flamenco, as much as I hear it gets better as it goes on, I'm pretty skeptical. I I know, I know, I'm basing my perceptions on the first episode, but I I don't know, man, I don't know. Besides, that's another one where if I'm going to cover it, then that would 
also have to be a regular Bay Bay episode, I feel like. If I have to watch it, it would have to be for the podcast. And we can do that one sub since uh, we've opened the forbidden door to doing subbed anime in the future, you know, when we did uh, Kids on the Slope. So now we can do more subbed anime when, uh, when the moment calls for it. So for anyone listening in the future who gets me for Secret Santa, please recommend something other than Ping Pong and Samurai Flamenco. Those are both stay tunes for the podcast on the line. Ping Pong more so than Flamenco. So if I'm not going with either of those two, then what am I doing? Thankfully, the third choice that Anime Santa left me was a really interesting one. This year for Anime Secret Santa, I will be talking all about Kyoso Giga. And for the record, this really caught my eye when I looked it up, so I'm not just doing this because I didn't want to do Ping Pong or Samurai Flamingo just yet. Like, I saw this and I thought, okay, this one looks interesting. I'm definitely going to do this one. Of course, before we get into it, here's a little bit of the background. As Kyoso Giga was produced by Toei Animation, a studio that needs no introduction, and also a studio that'll royally fuck you over if you dare make videos based on their shows. Uh, please support Totally Not Mark. And the series was created by Izumi Toto, who isn't just one person, but is actually a group of producers who work at Toei. Izumi Toto is the collective pen name they use. It comes from Oizumi Studio and Toei Doga, which was the former name of Toei Animation. Uh, a couple of other works that are credited to Izumi Toto include Ojamajo Doremi or Magical Doremi for everyone who watched the dub on 4Kids uh, TV. Uh, this was actually the first series to be credited to Izumi Toto, and definitely a good one too. Like, I do enjoy me some Doremi. I do have fond memories of waking up on uh, Saturday mornings watching that before uh, Sonic X came on. I really dug that show. I thought it was really cute. Uh, by the way, if someone out there could rescue the license for the show, that would be super. Anyone? Please? Discotech? And the other series credited to Izumi Toto is a big one. That big one being the entire Pretty Cure franchise. That's every single Pretty Cure series from OG Futariwa Pretty Cure all the way up to today with Tropical Rouge Pretty Cure and next year's Delicious Party Pretty Cure. And if you've been following me on Twitter within the past, I don't know, year and a half or so, you've, you'll know that I've gotten super into Pretty Cure as of late. <laughs> By the way, thanks for uh, putting up with my uh, Pretty Cure threads anytime I watch an episode or a movie. I greatly appreciate you <laughs> tolerating me for all that. But, you know, I just, I just gotta spread the love. Pretty Cure is super great. I love Pretty Cure. So, seeing the name behind the Magical Girl franchise that has become one of my favorites in recent memory as the creator of Kyoso Giga, I knew I had to check this one out. And the Pretty Cure connection doesn't stop there as the director of the series, Rei Matsumoto, got her start in the anime industry working on Pretty Cure. She did everything from assistant director to episode director to storyboards on uh, Futariwa Pretty Cure Splash Star, Yes Pretty Cure 5, Fresh Pretty Cure, and the Pretty Cure DX2 and DX3 films. And she is also the director of the Hard Catch Pretty Cure movie fashion show in the Flower Capital. Really? That's not me saying really, that's actually in the title. <laughs> and Matsumoto's most recent anime was the fun as hell Blood Blockade Battle from Baby! And if you don't know... Blood Blockade Battlefront is a blast. I highly recommend you check that out if you haven't already. It's super, super fun. Like, one of my favorites from, like, the last decade. So, yeah, Kyoso Giga has definitely quite the uh, pedigree behind it. You know, killer's row of people working on the show here. So, it began as an ONA, or Original Net Animation, released on December 6th, 2011, and would receive five additional ONAs the following year. And a year after those additional ONAs, Kyoso Giga would receive a full TV series which ran from October 2nd, 2013 to December 25th, 2013. Hey, happy 8-year anniversary. Ended on uh, Christmas. Eh. 
As for availability here in the West, the series was licensed by the fan-favorite Discotheque in 2017, which included the ONAs, and is also streaming on Crunchyroll, which is where I watched it. And by the way, if you're wondering where the title came from, it comes from Chojugiga, which is a famous set of four picture scrolls belonging to a Kozanji temple in Kyoto, Japan. These scrolls are also referred to as uh, the Scrolls of Frolicking Animals and Scrolls of Frolicking Animals and Humans in English, and they are actually credited as the oldest work of manga. Uh, the story that goes is that the, uh, the first scroll illustrates uh, anthropomorphic rabbits and monkeys bathing and getting ready for a big ceremony. A monkey thief runs in from animals with sticks and knocks over a frog from the lively ceremony. Further on, the rabbit and monkeys are playing wrestling while another group of animals participate in a funeral, and Frog prays to uh, Buddha as the scroll closes. So yeah, there's a little bit of history lesson for you there. So, with all that out of the way, my 2021 Anime Secret Santa solo podcast is all about Kyoso Giga. So without further ado, let's start the show. Okay, so I'm going to be kicking off here with the uh, the ONA, which was uh, how it all started here. So uh, from the get-go, I knew this was going to be, I was going to be in for a fun wild ride and a little uh, psychedel- psychedelic ride too, because the animation is just like really, really expressive, really, really colorful, like, and plenty of flexing during like uh, the opening fight sequence of the o- ONA, like, and the series is just loaded to the brim with just the animation flexing here. And funnily enough, if you like, if you hadn't told me this was Toei, I would have been convinced this was actually Studio Trigger. And it's it's like that good with the crazy expressions, the squash and stretch animation, and just the constant movement and everything. Like this is an animation showcase on full display here, and also kind of a kind of a story that feels very like Alice in Wonderland inspired, you know, with like rabbits, white rabbits searching for a white rabbit and whatnot. And this ONA is only like 25 minutes. I know when this actually aired before the series proper, they actually added in some more scenes here, but there's a lot going on here. And it's only the preview for the series as a whole. In fact, they do show some stuff that does happen in the series later on here. So yeah, it's definitely like a preview without a lot of the context. So I'm only going to gloss over to here since I'm going to be going into it more as I start talking about the series proper, which is it right now. So kick off with a priest named Yoe, played here by Akira Ishida, who has the power to bring anything he draws to life. 
This power scares the people from the village he lives in, and they label him as an outcast. So Mioe moves to a home in the mountains away from the village that shuns him. One of Mioe's drawings is a red-eyed black rabbit named Koto, played here by Aya Hisakawa, who is in love with him. She wishes she could be with him, and luckily for her, she strikes a deal with a bodhisattva. Excuse, excuse me if I mispronounced that, sorry. And Koto is granted a human form, so she can finally be with the priest she loves. And soon enough, they end up starting a family, starting off with adopting a child named Yakushimaru, and eventually he would be giving siblings as two more drawings by Mioe come to life. They are the big brother Kurama and the big sister Yase. They were a strange family, but they were happy. You know, sometimes a family can just be a priest that can bring drawings to life, his black rabbit now humanoid wife, and their three children. One of which is an orphan, and the other two are also drawings brought to life, you know? Families, families can just be like that, you know? However, people in power started to catch wind of this, and they don't approve of this not one bit. And so the family runs away from the world that disapproves of their lives and goes to a world beyond the looking glass which they uh, also call Kyoto, which is uh, what Kyoto means in, in English. A world with no wars or conflict, and where no one dies or is born. And if something breaks, it just fixes itself. A place full of peace and harmony where humans and creatures live together as equals. Unfortunately, time has run out for Koto as the extent of the deal with the Buddha as it so that she can only be human until Mioe reciprocates her love. If she keeps this body any longer, then something terrible might happen, as seen in the dreams she and her beloved have had each night. And so Koto and Mioe, knowing that their time is up, leave their children behind in the world beyond the looking glass to watch over it while they wait for their parents to return one day. I really like this setup. Like, the way this family came together was just super sweet, and it just, it really just got over how much uh, Mioe and Koto loved their children, how they would just do anything for them to ensure that they had a good life. Whether it's running away to a mirror world utopia with no conflicts or giving up being with their children in order to protect them. It's it's really good stuff. It, it's good stuff. And I know as this series goes on, we're going to get more of those, those family feels there. Time passes and the three kids are now grown up with Yakushimaru, now played here by Kenichi Suzumura, taking up the role Miyoi had before he left. One day, a mysterious lightning storm appears, followed by a light falling into a shrine in the center of the city. As Yakushimaru arrives there, he meets a girl and her two brothers. The girl's name just so happens to also be Koto, played here by Rei Kugamiya, and her two brothers, Ah, played here by Hidaka Noriko, and Un, played here by Ryoko Shirishi, are also her familiars who can transform into little blue and red floating monsters and also regular little children boys. Koto somehow managed to find her way into the mirror world as she's here to search for her family. As soon as I finished this first episode, along with uh, watching the preview, like, I was just like, sold. I'm in. I want to see more of this. So let's learn more about Koto. That's a uh, little Koto, by the way, who is, is just so small and cute. She's so freaking adorable. She was taken into a shrine by a man in a fox mask called Inari, who raises her and teaches her how to fight. And Koto is a little firecracker here, you know, like one of the first things we see her is getting into fights with a bunch of kids, but instead of being scolded, Inari just tells her how, to, how she should throw her punches. He's all like, hey, Koto, keep your arms closer when you punch. So Koto has a lot of potential as a fighter, but uh, not the brightest student, though. She tends to slack off with her education, but uh, everyone around her seems to love her. And also some of the other kids uh, keep challenging her to the fights, you know, they're the, they're the ones that don't really like her too much, but they all end up the same with her 
with her making quick work of them. You know, there's like this one noble kid who comes at her with a big kendo stick and then she just repeatedly beats him up with like a rolled up book. <laughs> and like he keeps getting back up trying to fight and then she just keeps smacking him over and over again. While this is all going on, Koto informs us that uh, she has a secret. What is that secret? Well, late one night, Koto spots a black rabbit in her home and she's after it. Coming across a room where she finds the paintings of the Mirror Capital and Lady Koto in her rabbit form. And she sees Inari sleeping in a chair, crying while calling out to Lady Koto. And it's a black rabbit here. Black rabbit with the red eyes. That sounds familiar. And Inari also has the same uh, wall scroll that Meowai had. And without his mask, kind of looks like him too. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there. Mystery aside, this is all so cute though. Like little little baby Koto running around. I do like sometimes that she calls Inari Papa instead of Sensei, but like she still calls him Sensei just because that's just what she used to. But uh, he is in fact her uh, biological father. This eventually leads us to where we are now, with Koto now in the world beyond the looking glass. And Yakushimaru and his siblings all find Koto fascinating, they all, and they all point out the similarities between her and uh, their mother, Lady Koto. And my immediate thought when I first saw this, I was, I was just like, I know, I like where this is going. I can, I, I can kind of see what they're doing here. I'm all for it. I'm all in. Moving on from that, we see the heart of the Looking Glass City, this high-tech science control room run by a woman named Professor Shoko, played here by Chiwa Saito. You know, acknowledge her as she is the head of the Kyoto Force Table as she commands an army of drones who all look like mafia guys in white suits, you know. Her goons. And Shoko is also a huge nerd with a lot of books and merch. And I love that when Koto and her brothers first meet her, they just immediately just start fucking around. Anu and just touching things, Koto swinging her big hammer, Aratama. Which uh, Shoko does take an interest in as, you know, it's all for research, you know, not just to marvel at a big size shifting hammer right here which by the way is is really sweet this hammer with like kind of the the actual hammer head is kind of clear with these polka dots on it and it's got like these charms hanging on at the end of the hill like i really i really take a look at this thing since lady koto and Miyawe's children rule over their own territories within looking glass city shoko actually works in kurama's territory and uh, we do actually get to meet kurama here played here by shigeru nakahara and during his first meeting with koto we get a flashback to little baby kurama as the eldest brother, he was always the most level-headed and mature compared to his brother and sister. He kept up, excelled in his studies on like Yakushimaru, and always kept a cool head on like Yase. You know, there's even like one scene where like uh, Yase's just freaking out because she lost her doll and actually grows huge in the process. And then uh, Kurama very calmly just looks under the uh, the porch of the house and just uh, and just finds it. And, and then they're all like, "Hey, how'd you know?" And he's all like, "Well, I saw you were dirty, and I know you like to crawl around, so I just looked under the house, and there it is." You just gotta keep calm, Yase. <laughs> He's incredibly gifted, and even at a young age, he can create just about anything he puts his mind to, and everything he made always impressed the people around him. Like, there's this big montage of them in the Looking Glass City creating all these kinds of inventions, and just crowds and crowds of people would surround him going all like, Ah, Karama, you're brilliant, you're an amazing, you're gonna be great when you grow up. But Karama wanted more. He wanted one day to go to a world beyond Kyoto, and Miyoi promised him that he will be there when he does. However, it was soon after that that Lady Koto and Miyoi left, and while his siblings were crying their eyes out, he kept a straight face. Like that, like that scene there where they're just like Yase and, Yak and Yakushimaru are just bawling, and he's over on the side, just perfectly calm. Like a simple yet effective way to get over his character right there. I really dug that. 
back in the present, we get a nice little uh, segment here. Like, there's not too many of these in the show since the story kind of keeps forward, but uh, there's a little segment here just entirely focused on Shoko as she loses the remote to her giant fucking robot. A robot that was introduced in, like, this black and white Gigantor-esque anime opening here. Like, I fully expected to just hear, Gigantor, Gigantor. Gigantor. Yeah, a little bit of Gigantor there for you. And she just goes on a rampage around the city looking for it. Even making it to uh, Yakashimaru's place where she shoves a machine gun in the faces of Koto and her brothers thinking they stole it. And they no-sell it, which is pretty fun. Like, they're just going all like, Ah, Shoko, you're, you're really fun. We like you. Like, we don't get a whole lot of her. Like, this is probably, like, the biggest thing she does in the series, but... This she's actually pretty fun. I do I do like show to go. Even better, there was like before that there was a great bit where they're just all sitting down eating and then there's a big explosion off screen. Yakishimaru goes to the front to investigate, pokes his head out of the entryway, and then it just cuts to this wide shot to the front of the house where there's just a big hole in the house surrounding the door, and the the doorway just falls over like like a silent film shot right there. It's it's pretty fun. I like that. And another thing I do like is that uh, the remote that they're looking for is actually just a, a legally distinct PSP, but it's a PSP, you know? She just wants her PSP back, you know? <laughs> Shoku even sends her goons to chase after a crow that looks to be carrying it, but uh, when they catch it, it just turns out to not be hers. She later manages to find it at a restaurant thanks to her assistant Fushimi, played here by Eiji Takamoto, as he uh, secretly put a GPS tracker on it. So yeah, we don't get a whole lot of these segments right there, but this was a lot of fun. I do like this, and uh, I think while I was doing my research, this was actually a uh, another one of the like ONAs that they released online. So there was like a little little short that they released, which is pretty nice that they kind of put in the show here. Anyway, after that, let's get some time together with Yase, played here by Eri Kitamura. And uh, by the way, uh, Rei Kugumi uh, playing opposite Eri Kitamura. Uh, they were both uh, Taiga and Ami in the Japanese version of Toradora, so they're kind of, they have uh, experience, like, uh, playing off each other, so I thought, eh, that's pretty nice, I like that. So let's talk about the station opening. Uh, living in a world where everything that breaks ends up fixing itself means there's no proper way to regularly get rid of things that you don't want. So there's a special time of year where people can toss their unwanted stuff in the air and it'll travel to the station where it'll end up outside of the mirror world. Later that night, a mischievous little imp throws away all of Yase's uh, dishes and cups, and it sends her into a monstrous rage, which I mentioned before. But yeah, when she gets super mad, she just hulks out and just gets huge. <laughs> like, it's it's a fun visual. Just this, like, cute girl in, like, this Victorian-era dress, and then, like, when she gets pissed off, she just goes full-on Hulk smash and everything. It's great. And out of everything that was lost, the one thing that Yase wants back the most is her favorite teacup, which Koto and the rest of Yase's servants go looking for. We do see here that Yase hates the station opening, like she can't bring herself to throw anything away. She keeps practically everything for sentimental reasons. Everything is related to her mother in some way, and she doesn't want to lose those precious memories, which is really, really sweet. Like, like she even at one point, like we see she keeps a tree where uh, Lady Koto used used to carve out the uh, the heights of her children as they grow up. And it's, it's really cute. Like, there's even a bit where Yase didn't get any taller, so she transforms into, like, her big monster mode, and she gets to, like, the top of the tree, saying, like, oh, I got huge, and Koto's just, like, just so happy for her, clapping for her. It's great. And I can actually relate to this, you know, not wanting to get rid of things because they have sentimental value. Like, me personally, I've kept plenty, my fair share of, like, 
birthday cards and Christmas cards and whatnot longer than I probably should have. Or, like, uh, I even kept my old Xbox 360 long after I stopped playing it because, you know, it was a gift from my mom for Christmas, and I, I, can't, I couldn't get rid of it, but eventually I did, you know. But still, like, I can really understand not wanting to lose things for sentimental reasons, you know, th- those precious memories, man. And also this kind of stems a little from uh, when uh, she and Krama were kids, like, he had her toss, her favorite doll, the one that uh, she freaked out when she was looking for, because he believed that, you know, if you send it to... Outside the mirror world, Lady Koto and Miyoe can find it, and then they can come back, you know, that can be like a sign of, please come back. But it didn't, and she just ended up resenting him for that, you know, like, it's a bit of a thorn in her side. Koto doing everything she can to cheer Yase up is actually really the sweetest, like, when she realizes that she can't find the teacup, so she just goes to Karama to get, like, another cup from her, you know, it's better to, like, than coming home empty-handed, you know, it's the thought that counts. But it doesn't work, and Yase goes into rage mode. But Koto manages to stop her, because Yase sees at the end of the handle on Koto's Aritama is none other than her favorite doll. It's one of the charms. Like, I saw that, I'm just like, ah, oh, there it is! Just, it actually did come back! <laughs> this calms her down, and also, when she sees that, she also starts seeing a little bit of her mother in Koto here, so... Yase is now fully calmed down now and gives her thanks to everyone's efforts and accepts the uh, cup that they stole from Karama for her. But this is this is all so sweet, you know? Like, it, it kind of got me in the feels here. Like, I'm watching this episode and I'm just like, ah, emotions! <laughs> now time for Yakushimaru to connect with Koto as uh, she has been living with him, but uh, now, halfway through the series, we finally get to see these two really, really connect. So during the station opening, Yakushimaru waits at the station for Miyoe and Lady Koto to return. And Karama compares it to a story of a dog waiting in the same place day in and day out for their master to return, except their master is long dead, and eventually the dog ends up dying. If it takes forever, I will wait for you for a thousand summers. Like, I know this is the actual story of uh, Hachiko the dog, but in my mind, immediately, I went to Seymour from Futurama, you know? Like, you already got me with the feels before with Yase and her precious memories, but, like, now you just, now, now, now you're now you're kind of pushing it a little bit, you know? You're getting you're getting me thinking of, like, the saddest episode of Futurama, but, like, it's, it works here. It really, really works here. I like this. And just waiting, waiting day in and day out for, like, any hint of like his parents coming back Yakushimaru is just getting frustrated and frustrated more and eventually it just leads him to lashing out at Koto because he feels she's screwing around too much rather than looking for her family you know like he waited so long for his family like why didn't she care like he does and she ends up kind of leaving his place for a bit to go hang up with his girlfriend but eventually he starts feeling bad about this and tries to apologize and I, I love this where like he kind of takes like the walk over to his girlfriend's place shuffles into the door a little bit, peeks in, and he's just all like, he just has the sorriest look on his face. He's like, hey, is Koto here? Won't apologize for being such a stupid idiot. And you see Miss Girlfriend's face, and she's all like, I knew you'd come around. I knew you I knew you would apologize. So the two reconcile and take a moped trip to the outskirts of town. They get to chatting, and the conversation gets to Anu, and specifically about their names and how it relates to something Miyawe said to Yakushimaru before he left. Miyawe said he will come back with the beginning and the end. 
and Anun's names mean the beginning and the end. It's all starting to come together, and Yakushimaru is starting to realize his and his family's connections to Koto and her journey to find her family. It's all starting to come together right now. Koto is after a black rabbit that might be her mom, and that's more than likely the same black rabbit that is Lady Koto. So Yakushimaru offers to help Koto find the rabbit, but under one condition. When you find our mother, I want you to kill me. This, at this point, this is where things get really heavy. As we see exactly how Yakushimaru was orphaned and how Miyoe and Lady Koto took him in. So Yakushimaru, he's actually a, like we I mentioned before that he's an orphan, but he's actually a war orphan. We see the aftermath of a big battle that left everyone around him, including his parents, dead, along with his home being burned to the ground. With nothing left, Yakushimaru attempts to commit suicide like he does the like seppuku style, He'll stab himself in the stomach and just bleed out. This is when Miyoe comes across him. He took the boy home to Lady Koto, telling her that they're going to adopt him, but first they need to bring him back to life. To do this, Miyoe creates a magic fruit which Lady Koto feeds to Yakushimaru, and the next day, Yakushimaru wakes up and is initially distraught by finding out that he can't die. Like, he was sure he was dead, but then he looks at his chest and realizes that he is 100% healed. And it's actually a really rough scene where, like, he just couldn't believe this. He's not accepting, like, being the adopted child of these two people. So he just runs in, finds a knife, and just stabs himself. And you just see blood just go everywhere. But when he does, like, his wound just instantly heals. And he's just like, why can't I die? I don't want to be here. What, what What is this curse that you've placed upon me? He hated this, and he just wants to die. But he isn't left with nothing. Instead, he has two people who will gladly take him in, raise him, care for him, and love him as if he was their own flesh-and-blood child. Like, the way he's just anguishing over this, and then just Lady Koto just ru runs in and just consoles him, comforts him, after he tries to kill him. So, like, it's, it's so sweet. And, like, then she goes to feed him when she hears his stomach growling. Like, that really got me, and... You know, Miyoi's all like, hey, you're going to love Lady Koto's cooking. You're going to have a lot of that. I think you'll love it here. It's just, ah. And what also got me was, like, the montage showing Yakushimaru going cl closer and closer to his new parents, you know. Like, he's a little distant as f at first, but then Lady Koto comes in and just tries to bring him into, like, their little inner circle here. And he's getting more and more closer there. And then we do see him eventually meeting Kurama and Yase, and then we just see them all living together happily as a family. Like, all done in a montage, no dialogue, and just you just see it through this single shot in of their living room, and then it just cuts to, like, different, different scenes, different settings throughout the day. Like, it, it gave me the warm and fuzzies. I loved that. I loved that so much. That was great. But then it's, it's like, it's maybe more sad, because, like, you get hooked into this, but then you realize, oh, the, they have to leave them. Like, they can't be happy right now, so it's like they have to leave them because of, like, everything that's, like, set this all up. It's like, ah, come on, why you gotta do this to me? So, back in the present, Koto and Yakushimaru chat about their parents, and they start connecting the dots more and more. You know, Koto shows a picture, shows uh, Yakushimaru a picture of her dad, of uh, Inari, and he points out that while he is younger, he does look like Miyoe. And this continues until Yase and Kurama, who are curious about the identity of Koto, Bring her to their assembly. They're kind of like a little lair over here, which is pretty cool. Which is like pretty cool. This like darkened room with like all these like platforms and pedestals and like kind of uh, 
kind of like ornaments hanging from mobiles everywhere. Like it's it's actually really 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 neat here. And uh, Yakushimaru objects to this, but uh, you know he can't, he doesn't really have much say in this. So they have a plan, and that plan being fight Shoko's giant fucking robot. <laughs> And I like that uh, one of the other, like, uh, scientists here saying, like, you know, this game, this game here is going to be Nintendo hard. <laughs> the reason being here is that Koto's Aratama has the opposite reaction to things within the mirror world, which means anything she smashes doesn't fix itself. They kind of compare it to, like, of, like two magnets of, like, uh, the same, like, uh, properties going together and how they, like, push apart. And if you, like, push them together, they just kind of explode. So Karama believes that uh, fighting the giant robot will have the opposite reaction so big that it'll open the door from this world and that it'll be able to bring in Lady Koto. During the fight, Koto is eaten by the robot, which leads her to a gate that takes her to the moon. You know, to the moon, Cameron Grimes style. <laughs> Where she comes face to face with Lady Koto, who she identifies as her mother. And at this point, this is where actually the ONA preview ends at this moment. So now we have the full context. And then now, going beyond that, now having the context, we can get into some new territory here. So yeah, kids, knock it off with all the rough housing, kiddos. Mommy's home. And Koto finally meeting Lady Koto was, like, was really great. And uh, just this, this reunion that we've been waiting for this whole time finally happening and uh, one change from the ONA that I'm really glad they made was that uh, in, the, like, here, Lady Koto hugs Koto when she first sees her. You know, she just happens to see her and gives her a big old hug. But in the ONA, for some reason, she kisses her on the lips. Like, oh, what is that? Like, the hug is way nicer, and it doesn't take me out of the moment wondering if someone on the staff had some kind of a kink. So I'm glad they made that change right there. So it's a big, happy reunion, like, mom's back, she finally gets to see her kids, and she's just so happy to see, like, how much they've grown and how they've taken care of Looking Glass City. So, you know, she's got to make up for lost time, she's got to mom it up with her kids. And I love Yase being so clingy to her mom, it is the cutest thing, just, like, her holding onto her arm and just, like, walking with her wherever she goes. Like, it's hitting all the right notes for me. Like, there's even a bit where, like, uh, she sees the control room from uh, Karama's territory where uh, Professor Shoko works. And she's just so fascinated by all of this uh, technology. And it leads to a really great bit where uh, Professor Shoko looks at Koto and she's like, I don't know, this is like a woman right here, Lady Koto. She can't be your mom. There's, there's nothing similar about you. But then Lady Koto knocks, like, the entire system offline, you know, kind of like uh, Koto earlier when she and her brothers were fucking around. And she's all like... Oh, no, you are actually related. That is actually your mother. Holy shit. <laughs> Afterwards, however, you know, we're having a great time seeing mom again. But, you know, things got to get serious. Lady Koto states that she needs to return where she was. Although no one is no knows how to get where she is. But she needs to go back because she promised she would come back together with Miyoe. And she can't come here before he does. Uh, speak of the devil. Daddy's home. And no, not Tommaso Ciampa. Inari appears before Koto and Yakushimaru, revealing that he is indeed Miyoe. And with his arrival, <laughs> shit's about to go down. So as soon as we get this big reunion here, the entire mirror world just starts falling apart, similar to the dream that uh, Lady Koto and Miyoe had back in the day. And young Koto blames herself as her using Aratama to come through this world seems to be the root cause of all of this. Though, it looks like it's not entirely her fault, as we see that Miyoe can take part of the blame here. As everything starts to, like, really fall apart here, even Yase's starting to lose her memories, but, uh, 
according to Mioe, this is all going to plan here. But Koto is going to try to fix this, but then the shrine where she came from, like the higher-ups, the priests from there, come in and then she and then they try to like stop her from doing this, saying that this is the, thir the 13th plane, it can't exist along with the other 12 planes, it must be destroyed. And there, it's a really, it's a really good scene here, but also like the shrine here, these, the priest just twisting the knife into Koto, just saying like, you know, it's ironic saying, you know, trying to find her family will end up causing her to lose them again, you know, because of her recklessness breaking into this world where she shouldn't have been here. Koto's down, but then Yakashimaru brings her up with a bit of a let's see Igrethos teeth speech to fire her up, even gives her a big punch in the gut and also a big like headbutt there. Though, unlike Simone and Gurren Lagan, she actually does punch right back to you. But I, I honestly, I honestly love that. That's kind of like one of the running tropes you kind of see in anime where like a character is about to lose themselves a bit. You know, they're kind of down, and then one of their like comrades or friends or family just runs in and just decks them one. I really, I really like that. You know, and just kind of thinking about it, considering like you know the folks uh, who worked on Precure worked on this. Like, I would love to see that actually in Precure. You know. You know, watching Tropical Roost Pretty Cure, you're about to go into the final battle with the Witch of Delays and maybe Cure Summer, you know, she's losing her motivation, she's not feeling it, and then Cure Flamingo just runs in and just punches her right in the face, knocks her halfway across the room saying, like, you need to stand up, you gotta be able to fight this, no feeling down in the dumps and sorry for yourself, and Summer's all like, thanks, I needed that, like, it'd be great, you know, maybe not for Tropical Roost Pretty Cure, maybe Delicious Party, or maybe the 20th Anniversary Series, you know, point being, I want to see Precures punch each other. But if the shrine's not going to help Koto save her family and the Looking Glass City, then she's just going to have to destroy the, the other 12 planes. If this place is going down, we're taking it with us. Uh, bull strategy, Cotton, let's see if it pays off for her. So Koto gives this big speech about how the Looking Glass City should have the right to exist along with the other 12 planes, but then, bit of a twist here, Miyawe then has a chat with Koto and reveals that he is a god who created the universe alongside his brother, the head priest, and his father, saying that he wanted Koto to grow up to be someone he can live on through. Miyoe then stabs Koto and the shrine priest with a sword, and in doing so, it puts Koto under his control as she starts destroying Kyoto, causing harsher effects on all the other worlds too, like, oh, like, oh, just a heel turn, like, holy shit, I did not see this happening, like, Miyoe, what the hell, man? Like, everything just kind of goes to shit, like, everyone's just kind of gone, like, while watching this, I'm kind of, I realized, like, oh, as Koto's destroying the city, like, everyone's just gone, like, like, there's a bit where, like, uh, earlier on, Koto gives her, uh, jacket or cardigan to, uh, Yakushimaru's girlfriend, and then later she just finds it all alone, so it's like, she got caught in the crossfire with everything, like, it's actually, it's actually kind of heavy there, but it won't end like this, you know, Yakushimaru rushes to Koto's side and brings her back to her senses with the beads of creation he got from Nizad, which he believes can save Kyoto. And, you know, the two here have a heart-to-heart, -heart, and he says, you know, Koto, you are not the end. You are my beginning. Which leads into the finale of the series, so let's close things out here. As we get a conversation between Lady Koto and Miyoe where she just slaps some sense into him, just, like, wondering, like, what the hell is going on with this? What are you doing? gets to the root of all this as pretty much all of this was just Miyoe acting out and just calling for help but you know acting but he's like acting so much of like a child he can't probably outright say it like not quite a heel turn but just a cry for help you know like he wants he kind of doesn't want this but he just wants his family to like take over 
and stop him so he can disappear. But in the end, he just wants some help, you know? You know, Mioe doesn't need a partner. He doesn't need a friend. He needs his family! <laughs> you know, they were the greatest thing that ever happened to him because before he saw the world as a place where you just wander aimlessly, you know, a world that shunned him for his powers. But they made the world a much better place for him, and they also taught him how to love and how to love himself. Like, they're his greatest gift. Like, it's like, ah, just... You kind of, you really feel for him, you know? It's like, he did all of this, but it's all like, it's just all set up so that he can have, he can have his family take him down and be able to save the world and everything, you know? He, he just wants to give up this godhood and just wants to stop existing. Like, ah, man. Uh, back with Koto and Yakushimaru, they combine the power of Aratama and the prayer beads to undo the damage to the Looking Glass City and all of the other worlds. And after that, they arrive in another plane, the central plane of all the worlds. And there they meet Grandpa! Uh, the rabbit, monkey, and frog from the Chojugiga scrolls are actually Mioe's dad, and by extension, the kid's grandfather. And we actually see them, like, like in the background to certain shots of the series. Like, it's kind of like, it's actually a nice tease, you know? You can kind of think of it as, like, oh, this is a reference to the original scrolls, but then it's like, oh no, that's actually part of the story. They're actually family. They're their grandpa, their grandfather. So the big purpose of all this, like I said, you know, Yoe wants his family to stop him, and he actually wants to pass on his godhood onto Yakushimaru and Koto. That was his whole plan the entire time, but they don't accept that. They don't want to take that godhood, but they also don't want their dad to disappear. So they're just gonna be they're just gonna like kick reality to the curb and everything, you know, they're gonna buck this and they're just gonna be like, you know what? We're not being gods. You're not disappearing. We're going to stop this. And like with how crazy and big the final act gets, it, it really does feel like something you'd see from Studio Trigger, you know? So Koto runs in and just beats some sense into her dad. Like it's a really big entrance where like Miyoe and Lady Koto are on the moon, you know, where Lady Koto was before she came out. And then through the power of the beads and the Aratama, they were able to like uh, break through into this world. And then Koto just just runs in and just like, how dare you make our mom cry, and then just starts going at it with Mioe. And then she just lets him know, like, what true love is, you know, loving your family, how you're always there for each other, how you always care about each other, even if they mess up. It's like she just lets all of her emotions out on him right here, all of her frustrations, and she just lets him know that I don't want you to disappear. I want you to be with us. We can stop this. Don't leave. Don't disappear. And Koto's feelings here were enough to convince uh, Grandpa to let Mioi's existence remain while Yakushimaru takes over the role as the priest. And Koto has her family fully reunited. And I do like uh, Yakushimaru, you know, he never really accepted the prayer beads that Mioi gave to him. You know, he always kind of saw it as a bit of a burden. But I did like how he gave it back to Mioi and then he immediately take it back. You know, here's your beads, now give them back to me. I have your role now. I'm, I'm the Mioi of this world. I, I kind of really like that, though. It also kind of reminded me a bit of, uh, I think it was like this old uh, TNA Impact, the clip here where it's like, uh, I think it's like either Jeff Hardy or Sting won the TNA world title, and then Mick Foley came in, and then like, they're already holding the world title, but then Mick Foley takes it, and he's all like, hey, here's the title, and then he hands it over back to him, you know, like, hey, I'm passing the torch here, like, it, it, I just thought of that, you know, <laughs> it's weird. I think a lot about wrestling, you know. But seeing the whole family together, you know, Mioe's not disappeared, you know, Lady Koto's back with her children, and they're just 
finally all happy together living in the Looking Glass City. Like, this was a good ending, you know, kind of nuts, bombastic, but with plenty, and I mean plenty of heart. And I'm just, I'm just so glad to see this family together. Curtain down. here this was such a nice series i really enjoyed this you know the messages of theme and themes of love and family hit all the right notes you know finding a place where you belong finding people who care about each other you know kind of reminded me of like how last year i did march comes in like a lion and how like the themes of like uh, love and family there and like finding a place where you belong like it, it kind of like it kind of makes me glad that back-to-back christmases i got uh similar uh, similar themes with stories you know it, it's gotta keep the trend going here I really dug all the characters. I absolutely adore the dynamic of the main family. I loved them the pieces by the end of it. Just seeing them together and everything, like in the flashbacks and seeing how they interacted in the present day and like how happy they were when their parents finally came back. Like it just warmed my heart. The animation in the series is just absolutely gorgeous. Like flexing upon flexing upon flexing here. Like I mentioned earlier during the podcast, it's got that studio trigger feel to it while also standing as its own thing like you can kind of say it's inspired or in kind of the same ballpark but it's still this is still a toy animation and everything like that but still it's kind of like their take on that kind of style and it was great basically seeing like what is essentially the pre-cure team working on another series outside of pre-cure and like doing a bang on job too like it was great and also not not just any series but an original series no less in this day and age of like 99% of anime being based off some pre-existing material, whether it's a light novel, a manga, a gacha game, or whatever the fuck. It's such a breath of fresh air when I get to see something that's completely and 100% original, and also a total passion project too. Like, I definitely felt that all the way through. And like, I watch this and I'm just like, I want more of this. I want more of these original passion projects like Kyoto Giga or even stuff like earlier this year, Wonder Egg Priority or Fenapire Princess, you know? Just give me some more originality and not another Isekai light novel adaptation. So I want that, and especially if you can get the passion like this series had. And I also have to say, 10 episodes and an ONA, really breezy watch, you know. So if you have if you have some spare time around the holidays, I highly, highly recommend you check out Kyoso Giga. And I would like to thank my anime Secret Santa for su- suggesting the series in the first place, you know. Made an excellent choice. And sorry for bearing your suggestions of... Uh, Ping Pong and Samurai Flamenco earlier. I'm sorry about that. I'll get to them someday. Probably. Mostly Ping Pong. Maybe a Flamenco. But still, Kyoso Giga, big, big thumbs up. So thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shoda on Twitter, MikeyShoda.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shota on the gram. You can follow at AnimeBebe on Twitter, at AnimeBebe. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. Also follow the show at animebebe.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And as mentioned on our uh, previous episode, the Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2 episode, our next episode will be all about My Hero Academia Heroes Rising as we uh, bridge the gap between My Hero Season 4 and Season 5 as we enter the new year that is 2022. But until then, 
stay safe out there, wash your hands, get faxed, get boosted, wear a fucking mask, Black Lives Matter, transfer it to human rights, stop Asian hate, and this has been Anime, baby! Because we can't spell Christmas without us! Because we can't spell Christmas without us! Thank you! Christmas, you filthy animal. And a Happy New Year.